there, it's Carrie. I'm just popping in real quick to let you know that the next four episodes for my podcast this month are going to be a little different. I am doing them primarily as videos so that you can see me and so that it can feel like we're having uh, a conversation with each other. Um, This is October is Domestic Violence Awareness Month and is a very, very important month to me in so many ways. So I thought maybe doing a video uh, with, you know, more sensitive information might be a little more relatable and a little more connective for you. So it's going to be a little different. I'm still going to do the audio portion, but if you want to see the video, hop on over to my YouTube channel, Invisible Wounds Healing from Trauma, and please like, subscribe, comment, let me know what you think about the show, let me know what you think about the videos, and if enough people like it, then maybe I'll switch to doing an all-video platform. We'll see. It's an experiment. So, Thank you so much for listening, and we'll talk soon. Hey there, it's Carrie. How are you? I thought that for the month of October, I thought that I would go ahead and try to do my podcast via video, which is something completely new for me. So bear with me as I get used to it, but... I wanted us to be able to have a conversation, you know, more than just hearing my voice. I wanted you to be able to see me. So think of us sitting somewhere comfy, somewhere that you're comfortable, sitting on a couch, maybe with some soothing cups of tea, just having an honest conversation with each other. And I really, really appreciate you joining me for this latest episode. Um, This whole month of October, we're going to be talking about different aspects of domestic violence or intimate partner violence. And it's important to me that we see each other or that you see me. And uh, yeah, we can have a more honest conversation that way. So I'm glad you're with me on this journey. I thank you for being on this journey with me. And let me add in my little disclaimer, I am not a clinician, counselor, or physician. I'm a certified trauma and resiliency life coach, a certified trauma support specialist, an advocate, and a lot of other things right now, but uh, also someone with lots of lived experience with trauma. And also remember the information that I put out there in this podcast is only for educational purposes. It's not meant to replace treatment by a doctor or any other licensed professional. So this month of October is very, very important to me. Uh, It's Domestic Violence Awareness Month, and it's important to me on every level. It's important to me as a person who has been through abusive relationships, and as an advocate for the work I do. And while I'm really glad that domestic violence awareness has one month out of 12, I really think that every month needs to be domestic violence awareness month. 
I think every person needs to be aware of every aspect of it to know how to see it and avoid getting into those kind of relationships. Every person that works in a job where they come in contact with other people needs to know how to spot it and how to carefully provide resources if necessary and needed. So in my mind, that's everybody. And I also am a really big proponent of teaching kids in school about healthy relationships and what they look like. I mean, starting in kindergarten. Teachers need to probe deeper into why some students have so much trouble in school. Why don't they listen? Why don't they pay attention? Why don't they participate or try to make friends? Why are they fearful and withdrawn and shy? Why are they frequently absent from school? So if child lives in a home where violence is the norm, how else are they supposed to behave? If healthy relationships were taught to small children, of course, in a gentle and age-appropriate way, what questions might they ask? What things might come up for them? What comments might they make? What information about their lives, situations, and behaviors might come to light? And I completely understand. I can hear teachers out there going, but hold on, we're already overcrowded classes, underpaid, overworked. And I totally, totally get that. Teachers are overextended. And I support teachers in every way possible. But kids spend more time with their teachers in the classroom actively than they do at home. You know, they don't spend a lot of time maybe at home interacting with their family or their siblings or their parents, especially if there's violence in the home. People aren't interacting in a normal way. So educators, teachers and educators of all kinds are sort of like the first line of defense in being able to spot problems. And I wish just one of my teachers had tried to find out why I was so terrified to be at school, why I couldn't focus, I couldn't learn. I was shy. I mean, painfully shy. I was bullied and teased and picked on, and I was frequently absent. It might have at least made me feel seen and heard and a little bit understood because I felt like no one understood me and no one heard me. I didn't understand myself either. So that made things that much worse. It could have made a difference. But I was in school from like the late 60s through 1982. So the focus on these kinds of things wasn't there. It wasn't a part of societal and social consciousness or awareness. DV was and still is to a large extent a very taboo subject. You know, it it's it happens behind closed doors. So if we don't see it, then we don't have to deal with it. So for me, the month of October brings a lot up, a lot of really painful memories of my experience with domestic violence. Yeah, there was abuse in my home growing up. There was a ton of it. But this month I focus and think about a little bit more on my relationship with my abuser, you know, my intimate partner. 
My traumatic childhood and teen years absolutely set up, set me up to be taken in by my abuser. I was set up to fail. I was a 16-year-old runaway with no idea of how to even function in the world. I was that perfect mix of needy, desperate, and inexperienced. And I didn't have any idea of what a healthy relationship was even supposed to look like. I was full of those Swiss cheese holes that I've talked about before, you know, inside of me created by all of the trauma I'd experienced and by all of the things I needed but didn't get from my parents. Abusers are intense. They can be so passionate. And for those of us looking for love, belonging, and being needed, we fall for it. We buy the lie. Then the abuser begins to knock out those pillars of any support we might have. But it happens subtly. We don't even really realize it's happening. A day after I met my abuser, and I met him on the beach, it was at a beach party that I happened to go to, within a day I was living with him. And, you know, right after that, you know, he said he loved me and he'd never felt that way about anybody else before in his life, which that's a hook. I mean, there's a difference between attraction and love. You know, can you be instantly attracted to somebody? Sure. But is there instant love? No, not really. So, you know, I I fell and I fell really hard. And why wouldn't I? I mean, he was handsome. He was charming. He was funny. He was a good old bad boy, Southern rebel type with an edgy past. And I got sucked in. He loved me. He needed me desperately. And he was a big drinker and a partier. And so was I. And so were all of his friends. So what could be better? And I mean, we had lots of fun in the very beginning. He was sweet attentive, caring. And I got to admit, the sex was pretty incredible. And over all of my years in working with other survivors of intimate partner violence, they all related to that description of the beginning of their relationship too. So, you know, especially how great the sex was. And again, it's a hook they pour on the charm, they pour on the love, they pour on the attention. The sex is terrific. Everything is wonderful. So what's not to love? You know, and, and it's a very common thread. Abusers use that to reel you in. So when I moved in with him, you know, we lived in a remote area of Virginia. It was a little island off the coast and there were neighbors, but it was still pretty remote. And I found out pretty quickly that our neighbors were not going to be of any help to me when I was in trouble. So the very first physically abusive incident that happened, my abuser got so drunk that he didn't recognize who I was. He thought I was just some woman he'd picked up. He kept questioning, who are you? Why are you here? You know, and I was completely confused and I didn't understand what was going on. And this was the first time that I I looked at him and he had 
light eyes, sort of like green eyes. And his eyes, the color of his eyes changed. They got darker when he got like this. I called it going black. And I pretty quickly learned to recognize this as a sign that I was in very deep, dark, and dangerous trouble. I ran next door to the house on our right, which happened to be his uncle's house. I knocked on the door. I pounded on the door, screaming for them to open the door and let me in. They opened the door briefly. Then they shut the door in my face. So again, no no help. We had no telephone. And this was long before. This is like 1980-ish through 82. So, it, it, you know, we we had no cell phones. We had no internet. There was nothing. And we had no telephone. So there was no help for me when I needed it. So really, this was the beginning of being completely shut off and cut off and isolated for me. And he began to do things like he would take the distributor cap off my car and put it under his pillow at night so I couldn't leave. The car doesn't run without the distributor cap. So he would put it under his pillow and he knew darn well I wasn't going to try to wake him up and and get the cap to try to put it back on my car. So he kept me from being able to leave when I wanted to. And the the lengths of cruelty that he went to was just astonishing to me. So when he really, you know, he was a huge drinker, huge partier. So when he went on a drinking binge, he would listen to certain music over and over for days at a time. This is, you know, this is no sleeping. This is over and over and over again. If you've ever heard of the band Little Feet, I cannot listen to the song Dixie Chicken ever, ever again in my life. The Allman Brothers, David Allen Cole, Merle Haggard, Hank Williams Jr., Willie and Waylon, over and over and over again. And I had to sit right next to him on the couch and listen with him. He allowed me to get up and take a break to go to the bathroom. And he allowed me to get up and take a break to fix food if we had food. But that was it. I wasn't allowed to sleep. If I nodded off, he would hurt me to wake me up. And I got, there was no break. There was no break. And then often what he would do is he would go up in the attic and he'd get a sawed off shotgun and he would bring it out and he'd hold it to my head, daring me to move. I dare you. Move, move one muscle. I dare you. And then he would hit me with it repeatedly over the head as well. And this was just one of the ways he thought he was correcting my behavior. So we also had a big, old, sweet, fluffy dog named Chaos. Chaos was a long-haired, black, white, and tan, big, mix, mushy love of a dog. He was so sweet. This is really tough. This is probably one of the toughest things that I will relay 
to you um, in in any conversation that we have about intimate partner violence or domestic violence. So this is a big trigger warning. I'm going to talk about animal abuse, but I think it's important that I state what happened. Um, so when my abuser felt that I needed extra special correcting or a certain kind of reminder as to how I should behave, he would make me go out of our back door to Chaos's area. And Chaos had an area outside of the back door. Um, he stayed during the day outside on a really long chain and he had a doghouse. So he would make me go outside with him uh, and he would grab a long handled shovel that he kept by the back door, you know, a shovel for digging. It's got, you know, a really long wooden handle and the blade of the shovel is thick, heavy metal like iron. And he would walk with the shovel over to the dog and he would look at me and with those black eyes, he would say, this is what happens when you don't listen and don't move. You need to watch this or I'm going to do this to you. And then he would begin hitting the dog very hard with the shovel. And of all of the awful things that happened to me, this was the worst. Over everything else that he did to me, this is what hurt the most. And he knew it. It was barbaric and cruel in such an extreme way that to this day, this is what will trigger me the most. This is what I remember every single second of, and I will never forget it. This is a big re reason why so many of us don't leave for fear of what our abuser will do to our pet if we leave it. And if we take them when we leave, will we, will we be able to have them with us at a shelter, at a hotel, wherever we go? If we leave the pet, the pet we know our abuser is going to hurt them or not care for them. So we stay. Luckily, many shelters now are beginning to understand just how important our pets are to us and are making, you know, having them be allowed to come with us if we go into shelter. So I worked for Sojourner Center here in Phoenix for a long time, and they were one of the first shelters in the country to, uh, they got funding for a big, beautiful on-site pet shelter. And, um, you know, it's, it's on their site. So the pets can either stay in the shelter. And in some cases, you know, if it's a service animal, the animal can stay in the room, uh, with them. And Sojourner has just expanded their pet companion shelter, and I mean, they've had everything from cats and dogs to lizards. There was even a goat at one point. Every shelter needs to find ways to accommodate people's entire family. And that includes the animals that we love so much. There was so much abuse in my life in so many forms. I could write a book and I'm actually in the process of doing that right now. And I'm not telling you all of this to be purposefully triggering, 
But I want those of you out there listening to understand just how twisted the branches of abuse can be. This also might reach people who don't understand the dynamics of an abusive relationship. They don't understand how a person can get into one, and they don't understand why people just don't leave. It is so complicated, and it isn't just a matter of stay or go. You know, it's it's the psychological and and the physical damage that happens as a result of being in this kind of relationship. It is debilitating. It cripples you. You're terrified. You don't believe in yourself. You don't believe in anyone else to help you. You don't trust anybody. And, you know, realistically, the most dangerous time for someone who is in an abusive relationship is when they leave. So there's a million reasons why we don't leave. And people need to understand that. So something I really, really want you to think about, if you are in a situation where you're in an abusive relationship, if someone purposefully hurts you, your children, your pets, your family members or friends in any way, it is wrong, it's abusive, and you don't have to take it. You don't deserve to be hurt in any way at all, period. You were not put on this earth to suffer, especially by anyone who claims that they love you. Love is not like that. It isn't mean or cruel. I mean, do we all have moments where we say things that hurt people or say things in anger or, you know, say things when we react to certain things? Of course we do. We're human. That's just the way people are. But abusive behavior is different. Abusive behavior is a concentrated set of actions and reactions and behaviors by someone who is trying to hurt and control you. So there's a difference. There's a huge difference. And, you know, there's so many different types of abuse. It's not just physical. It's emotional. It's mental. It's financial. It's uh, sexual. It's environmental. It's social. You can have abuse in only one area or a mix of any areas, or it could be something different. But I want you to remember to listen to your gut, that inner voice that tells you something is wrong. It isn't right. Listen to that voice. If it feels wrong to you, it is wrong. If it goes against what you believe in, it's wrong. If they hurt you and say they'll change, it's a lie. If they hurt you and say they'll never do it again, it is a lie. If they say they love you, it is a lie. When those of us who've had trauma in our lives meet someone who instantly love bombs us, and you know, that's all of that 
initial love and attention and care and great sex and all of the things that we feel inside we so desperately need, it's a trap. If you meet somebody and that happens, it is a trap. And, you know, it's no wonder that we fall for them. It's it's absolutely tailored to what we need. And, and how abusers do that and hone in on us is amazing. But they're a predator. They're an abusive person. They're looking for someone who is needy, who has all of those open holes in their hearts and souls, who needs desperately to be loved and to be wanted and to be needed. You know, the big thing is, is that we think that these relationships are going to save us, that, you know, all this person is going to be what fills up all those holes inside of ourselves and give us all of those things that we so desperately want and need and make us feel better, make us happy, make our lives better, give us purpose. But the only way to make real lasting change within ourselves is to fill those holes up from the inside out. We have to do the work. Nobody on the outside can do it for us, and especially not in a relationship. We, you know, it, and I talked about it before, you know, when you meet somebody, can you have an instant attraction to them? Well, of course you can you know, we've all kind of met someone who we instantly just sort of have this, this thing that goes on where we feel attracted to them. We're interested, you know, but that's attraction. That's not love. You know, the, the attraction gives us a rush of those feel good chemicals, the hormones, the oxytocin and all of that, the dopamine, the things that our brain loves, those feel good chemicals but that's not love. You know, real love and a real relationship with someone, it takes time to develop. You have to get to know someone as a person. And it's also all about boundaries, boundaries that we have set and created and hold for ourselves and respecting someone else's boundaries and and knowing where those boundaries are. You know, we have to know what we will and will not accept and what behavior we will and will not tolerate. And, you know, we have to be very careful to guard ourselves, guard our bodies, guard our souls until we get the full measure of another person. Remember this, and, and it's absolutely fact. If it seems too good to be true, it probably is too good to be true. So, you know, for me, the month of October will be a time to participate in the awareness movement in any way I can. And it's really also a time of reflection for me. And it's a time for me to really celebrate just how far I've come. And the path has been long and crooked with lots and lots of detours and lots and lots of pitfalls. But I'm here and I'm in a good spot. And, you know, I've healed enough that now I can help other people on a much deeper level. 
Does it mean I'm 100% okay? No. I don't think I'm ever going to be, and you know, there is no, what is normal? There is no real normal for anybody, you know, and you know, if, if I'm not a hundred percent all the time, I'm okay with that. I'm good with who I am now and I'm a work in progress like we all are. And, you know, I'm always open to learning and growth and I change and grow every day. And so can you. You know, it, it's one of those things where when you heal, not that everything is terrific and wonderful all the time, but when you have a tough time or a tough day, you know, you have tools, you have skills, you have things that you know you can do that work for you in order to work through a problem or get through a situation or deal with emotions or the curveballs that life throws you. You know, that's what healing really does. You know, you learn things that work for you because what works for me isn't necessarily going to work for you. Um, but we learn those things and we tuck them away and keep them with us. And when we're struggling or having a tough day, we're like, mm, I know this works. So you pull that out and you do it. And, you know, as we go through the month of October and I do my shows, you know, think about becoming more aware of domestic violence or intimate partner violence. Become involved, you know, learn more about it. You know, whether it's for you or someone you know, there's lots of either free or in-person events and online events and webinars and trainings and courses you can join and, you know, I'm going to continue this month, too, to focus on the issue. And, you know, I will off and on as long as my show continues. So, you know, keep keep listening and keep staying on this journey with me. And um, it's amazing what we can do and learn together. So if either you or your family, or someone you know is in immediate danger, please do not hesitate to call 911. Don't worry about what might happen. Don't worry about anything. If your gut instinct tells you to call that number, call that number. Your life could depend on it. And if you are in an abusive relationship and you have made the decision that you want to leave, leaving safely is the key. Safety planning is real, it is a thing, and it is crucial to being able to get away safely, either on your own or with you and your children or all of the above and animals, you know, but safety planning is really, really important. So you can call the National Domestic Violence Hotline 24-7 at 1-800-799-7233. They will work through safety planning with you. They will give you information and resources on, on shelters in your area um, and, and other things. And every state also has a number that is 211. And 211 is a community resource line. So call 211. They may be able to also help you find shelters or Find the number of your local domestic violence shelter and call them yourself. Find out 
what their intake process is. Do you call them directly to get into shelter or do you have to call um, a community line? You know, here in, in Phoenix, in Maricopa County, there's a uh, a number that everybody calls and the people at this phone number know what shelters have bed availability around the Phoenix metro area and you know where they can get you in as quickly as possible to safety. Um, I'm also available to help with safety planning or resources or just support. So, you know, you can reach out to me through any of my social media pages, um, you know, and that's Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter. On my website, send me a message. You can also email me. My email, it's all lowercase, is K-E-R-R-I-W-A-L-K-E-R, the numbers four and three, at gmail.com. And I will do my best to help in any way I can. <sighs> that was a tough one. Thank you again for staying with me through that. It's important to me that you know that if you're in an abusive situation, you are not alone. Help is out there. Find it. Use it. Do whatever you need to do to leave safely and leave for good. So this is typically where I like to close us out with an exercise, you know, those tools that we add to our mindfulness toolbox. But with the topic that we talked about today, let's just do a round of our mindful belly breathing together to get more centered. And you can do this anytime you need to. So you breathe slowly in through your nose, relax your posture, breathe slowly in through your nose to a count of five, hold your breath for a count of one, then exhale, your belly naturally moving in as you exhale to a count of five. And do that as many times as you want. Remember when you breathe, you're breathing through your belly, you're breathing through your diaphragm, you're not breathing from your chest. So when you inhale through your nose, your belly should push out. And what this does, why this is so important, is this actually gives you more oxygen than if you're breathing shallowly through your chest. That's why I do it every single episode, every exercise. We do the belly breathing and it is good for your body. You are nourishing your body with oxygen that it needs. It's, you know, it, it energizes you. It cleanses your blood. It helps you be able to feel calmer. It helps you be able to think a little bit more clearly and sort of, you know, we call it regulation, self-regulation in, in the coaching world. So it's a way to regulate your brain and your body and your nervous system, which is so important when we're feeling stressed or anxious or panicked or frightened, whatever it is, that belly breathing, it, remember, it's nourishing your body. It's giving your body what it needs. So, 
you know, you have other tools too. If you've been listening to the show, you know, you can go back into your toolbox and pull out any other grounding skills or, or calming exercises we've done, something you've discovered on your own that you like to use that works for you, which is fantastic. You know, so write, create, take a walk, do some stretching, drink some water, eat something nourishing, read something uplifting, do something good just for you, especially after talking about such a tough subject as the one we've just discussed. I appreciate you listening. Thank you so much for listening and watching. Um, And please keep on listening and watching. And wherever you do listen, please like, subscribe, favorite, follow me, and share widely. It makes such a difference. You guys have no idea how many people have reached out to me. You know, they've happened on my website, or they heard my podcast, or they saw something shared on social media, or you know, whatever, it really makes a difference. And, you know, my goal is to get information to as many people as possible. And please let me know, comment on the show. I I don't care whether it's positive or negative. Let me know what you think, whatever's on your mind. You can, again, find me on all of my social media pages, Facebook at Carrie Walker or Invisible Wounds Healing from Trauma on Twitter at Carrie Walker 58 uh, my website invisible wounds healing from trauma.com my YouTube channel invisible wounds healing from trauma you know and you have my email email me let me know let me know what you think and look for my new episodes dropping every Monday on all of your favorite podcast music and listening apps it'll be interesting to see how things go out to the planet with my doing a video. This is new. So hopefully this has been helpful. Hopefully it's made a connection for you. Um, And uh, please take extra good care of yourself. And we'll talk soon.